Welcome to the Global Coaches Podcast, a podcast dedicated to coaches, about coaches, for coaches, football, life, and everything in between. The show is intended to allow coaches to share their stories, good and bad, about the profession we all love. At GCP, we keep it real. Come as you are. Each week, we dive into the diversity of coaches' stories from across the globe with hope that you will leave motivated or recharged to continue to build into the lives you interact with on the pitch. Let's get started with your host, Mario Felix. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Global Coaches Podcast. Really excited to get this thing going. First episode ever. Uh, first time ever doing podcasts. Really excited to talk to coaches and executives and directors and presidents of organizations about the game that we all love, about the profession that we all put so much time and effort into, about the lives that we are a part of every single day and how we can become better in what it is that we do. Uh, you know, a couple months ago, a couple buddies of myself um, really wanted to to give back to your assistant coaches. And, you know, not saying this isn't just for assistant coaches, um, but that is our target group, wanting to help assistant coaches best equip themselves for their next step and maybe give information that maybe we weren't given early on in our career. And, you know, so Skelly Keller, Gabe Romo, uh, John Markey were definitely three other individuals that were on the forefront of this movement and first started off with the Global Coaches Presentations, which is a weekly webinar series we do on Wednesdays, um, two to four presenters on topics that these individuals are very confident in and sharing amongst other coaches and giving themselves up for uh, at times judgment and, and arguments in a positive way, but uh, being vulnerable to say, hey, this is what I believe in. These are my tactics. These are my views. What are your thoughts? How could you incorporate in this in your environment? What could I change? What can I differentiate from what it is that you do? I'm um, just open dialogue to, to, to educate each other. And so it's very exciting um, how things have been going. We've had a lot of followers. It's been growing tremendously. And so there was a couple of other individuals very important in my life that said, hey, you should probably start a podcast. I think that'd be really cool to give a different perspective uh, to young assistant coaches on journeys that other coaches are currently going through have been through and what it is that they did to get to where they're at and how they continue to progress in their in their profession and so uh that's exactly what we wanted to do and so with that being said i wanted to start off with a bang and you can't get any bigger than this in my opinion one of the the biggest advocates in the black coaches community uh 2016 national champion uh a great humble man uh um a very down-to-earth uh, approachable individual at, and, and it's very tough because he is at a very high stage on a consistent basis. And you would never know it if you just sat down and talked life, not even just football in general, but in life. And so I really appreciate, uh, this individual Kadani McAlpine of the university of Southern California, a mentor of mine, uh, that I used to go to him for advice, uh, for motivation. Uh, and so it's been a great, awesome opportunity that I've was able to use him as my as my guinea pig so to speak in the first ever podcast so really hope you guys enjoy it before we get going i wanted to give a quick shout out to our friends at sports lab 360 who've teamed up with us on this podcast to offer listeners a nice discount sports lab 360 is a player focused soccer iq platform made up of interactive modules that focus on various tactical principles coaches assign these modules to their players to supplement tactical themes addressed in training ultimately creating an accelerated developmental environment we used Sports Lab 360, where I'm at. The girls love it. I love it. 
it allows your players to just sit there and get a better understanding of the game. It triggers a different style of learning. It slows their learning down uh, and not just watching film, running through sessions. At times, those are just overwhelming uh, obstacles for players in a college game. And so when you go on Sports Live 360, you're going to have the video module. You're going to have uh, the 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 browser that's going to give you a question and answer uh, format. Uh, it's going to give you a diagram. And so you're triggering different thought processes that help players become a little bit more cerebral. At times, you get players that come into your college program and you don't have that cerebral player that might be extremely athletic or technical. And so this there kind of gives them a better picture at times. And so I really hope that if you are interested, you take a look at Sports Lab 360. All listeners here get a GCP discount password. I'm sorry, the discount code is Global Coaches 3. 20% discount on Sports Lab 360. Take a look. Say what's up to my guy, Nick. And uh, really excited for you guys to listen on and uh, enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm uh, very excited to introduce my first ever guest of GCP Global Coaches Podcast, Kadani McAlpine of the University of Southern California. Kadani, thanks for joining us. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. So we uh, kind of want to just dive right into it. Had a really good introduction prior to this interview and want to kind of just talk about uh, who you are, your kind of backstory, where you're from, how you got involved in the game, and, and just kind of just dialogue about a little bit more in depth of who you are as a person and not just a coach. Yeah, um, I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama. Huntsville is a place where um, it's got three universities um, and it's got Marshall Space Flight Center. It's got the Redstone Arsenal, a um, bunch of engineering companies. And so the the interesting thing there is, a, you know, there's just a lot of people diverging in this one space that um, actually has a good soccer culture. Like um, to this day, you can go to the park and get a pickup game um, at uh, Oakwood. Oakwood is primarily um, uh, Seventh-day Adventist University. Um, so you got that, that population. Then you've got Alabama A&M, a historically black college university. And then you've got UAH, which is your normal engineering college. Um, and so legitimately, I played with growing up out at the park, you, you know, you play with Caribbeans, Africans, Europeans, I mean, you name it, we got to play. And so uh, it, was, it was an awesome experience growing up there. How old were you when you first got introduced to the game? Oh, great question. Uh, so my dad got to see Pelé play in New York, New York Cosmos, um, and fell in love with the game um, as, as a thinking person's game that had some beauty to it. He grew up playing uh, football, basketball, right? Um, running track, those kind of things, but really never, you know, was introduced to the game, but really saw it and, and, and saw the mastery of it and, and thought soccer was a great thing for for me to jump into. So I want to say I was around four, joined my first team at five. Um, you know, you'll never forget running out there that first time. Right. Um, you know, it was, it was awesome. We had, had a great experience and, and that was it for me. Like once, once I was out there, no coaches telling me what to do really, you know, not stopping right. every five minutes, just running crazy and, and, and playing. And that was the beginning. Absolutely. So when you started the game of soccer, your dad put you in it, did you, was there hesitation at first? Were you playing other sports or was it just love at first sight type of ordeal for you? No, I loved it. I mean, from the very, very beginning, I mean, we, we still got introduced to everything. It was basketball. Mm -hmm. um, 
I was always a, a smaller guy, so my mom never quite let me get get that American football in me. But uh, <laughs> only in the backyard, oh, only in the backyard. But uh, played yeah. basketball, baseball, even wrestled a year in high school. All my buddies from the soccer team were actually wrestling, and they needed a weight class, so I jumped in there for a season. Um, you know, just just played a lot of sports. Uh, was really a sports enthusiast. My dad, you know, playing in the back- backyard, always playing pickup. Always, always competing. You know, all of us were always competing, playing ping pong. You name it, we competed at it. Um, we found a way to, 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 to spark that competition in each other. It was awesome. Absolutely. So you talked about just the competitive nature and just growing up in Huntsville and, and playing multiple sports. If you weren't playing soccer, what's another sport that you think you would have pursued a little bit more seriously? Um, you know, that's a really, really great question. Um, I was too small for basketball, but I love basketball. I like, I enjoyed playing it. Um, Baseball. I had not enough power to play baseball. I was, (laughs) I was a bunter, get on base and I'll run you some bases. I'd probably be a great collegiate baseball player. Um, If I had to try anything, I'd probably, I'd probably be trying to kick field goals or something man um <laughs> simply because that yeah. was a space where i could i could i could survive in but i was decent in baseball you know you make yeah. the little all-star teams as a you make you know make the basketball little all-star team but right. i can't say i was i was a brilliant in any of those Absolutely. um i have to know i have to know my space right yeah i mean kicking field, field goals those guys last in the league for a long time so that definitely well didn't have been a bad option absolutely absolutely <laughs> i would love that yeah, so kind of now fast forward a little bit. You're you're playing club. You're in a more competitive environment um, down south. When did it click to you like, hey, man, I can actually be pretty good at this. I want to pursue this collegiately or even kind of talk through that mindset of realizing that you had some quality in your game and then how that transition looked at uh, going into the college game. Well, what was, what was great about my upbringing is, right, we, we grew up. Well, we grew up on the side of town that didn't have club soccer when we started. So our parents had to get together and Jason, my associate head coach and I grew up together. And so like literally all the way up, you know, they were kind of forging new paths for us and, and some of the parents. So we took two rec teams, put them together, made an all-star team to compete with the team on the other end of town. And, and we actually won the game. Then we got smacked when we left our city. Um, but, but it was great because right. like all of a sudden it was like, okay, we thought we were pretty decent then you realize that you're not all that great yet right um but it was fun that was that was the kind of thing but also the coaching side um all of our coaches were legit coaches um we had caribbean coaches african coaches you name it um many of them still coaching many of them a licensed coaches um so it was one of those things where you know you're exposed to the game at, at at a level that is actually pushing you forward and the more we grew the more we got to go to ODP and things like that the more you got to experience it was it was never a question for me I had Pelé on my wall I knew I wanted to to get the paycheck one day and that was that like it was never a question um every everything any and everything else that I did um everybody knew if it came between soccer and whatever else it was they were going to lose um (laughs) soccer soccer was it so all conflicts had one ending point and that was on the soccer field. So um, that was never a question, but, but then, you know, as you got older, the you know, being from Alabama, it was difficult to find the opportunities, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, not many people taught Alabama kids to play the game well enough to play at a, at a bigger and broader scale. You know, I tried to go to Howard, tried to go to, uh, and, and probably that was w- watching um, Alabama and M Howard was probably one of the most impactful games that I've, uh, that for me personally, yeah. um, seeing that quality um, of people that look like me play the game. Um, and then watching Alabama and M play Indiana in Huntsville. Mm-hmm. Um, was another moment just to see again a school that looks like me that's supposed to be a small school play at such a high level with one of the powers in the country. Um, those those two games probably had the most impact on me wanting to play. Um, so and those coaches um, continue to help me grow and realize that okay I, I I'm all right with this game um, was good for me. But but finding the opportunity was the hardest part. Wanted to go to Howard. Wanted to go to NC State. Um, ended up uh, getting recruited. <laughs> a coach came to see a, a friend of mine yeah. and liked the way I played. And the next thing you know, I was going to Birmingham Southern and it was, it was, uh, you know, it was an opportunity to play. The field right. was great. And my experience was phenomenal. Absolutely. So you talked about opportunities in, in, in Alabama, but I kind of want to backtrack a little bit there. And so, yeah. I mean, obviously being an African American soccer player in the <laughs> South, when that's not your sport, what was right. that dynamic like having maybe friend groups that were playing football, playing basketball, playing other sports? And did you see some sort of stigma at times where, I mean, you were one of probably not too many and playing soccer at that time? Well, it's, it's unique, right? Um, the friend group that I had because of my parents and, and where they worked, we actually had a group of us mm-hmm. that, that played. And yeah. so um, we played baseball, we played, like, we played all the other sports, but we were soccer players, yeah. and, our, and our coaches were, that looked like us, and so um, over half our, our team growing up looked like me, yeah. and so it never was a question of, of playing. When we went to school, um, you, you, you know, I could still go out and play basketball, but you couldn't play my sport, right? right? It was the, was the way it kind of went back and forth. I can play baseball, I can play football, but you can't play my sport. And so because I had other people that looked like me, it wasn't that, that big a deal. Now, fast forward and take that out to outward competition. Yeah. Sure, we caught it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you would catch that one kid that just didn't know any better and would say some stuff he shouldn't be saying in, in high school. Um, I remember a, a situation where uh, an exchange student from East Germany mm-hmm. um, had some 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 very very not so nice words um within the game and so you know we had to deal with that um all of that was real but we also had another dynamic we had two on on our club team for a long period of time we had two two quote-unquote girls at the time Mm -hmm. on our team um and so here they were battling against dudes and we got in fights over that too so um we were we were battling all sorts of things but being a being a person of color probably didn't hit me the hardest until college really Mm-hmm. Um, cause I was literally the only guy on my team. Um, yeah. and because I went to a small school, um, there were only 1500 pe- people at the school and, and really you could probably count the number of, um, black males at the school, right. uh, on, on, on two hands and that between basketball and soccer, we had a baseball guy and then a couple of others here and there, you know, it wasn't that many of us. So that's probably where it really hit home the most, um, for, for me. And, and so I've heard you in previous interviews, podcasts, and one thing that you mentioned uh, is you have, I guess you can kind of say a heart for mentoring um, 
you know, black coaches, black male mm-hmm. coaches and female, female coaches. Do you think that's kind of derived from your upbringing and just what kind of what you explained and just, you know, partly you were a small percentage when you went outside of competition, it was a challenge, but then also having female teammates and having kind of that protective quality that you started to establish. Do you think that's kind of derived or where does that come from? I, I think a, a bit of all of that. Like the only reason I got into coaching for real was, you know, my mom told me it was time to coach my little sister's team, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, uh, you know, you need to go out there and, and coach your little sister's team. She needs some help. Okay. Well, all right, I'll go coach. Um, but while I was in school, I was helping uh, the women there try to make the team because the team was formed while I was there. So right. again, I'm just helping my friends try to make the team because I love the sport. Absolutely. Um, in my experience, trying to go to school, um, playing the sport. Um, my coaches at the time didn't have the understanding that they have now about the process. So, you know, the process was a little harder for us. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to do while I was coaching was try to help those women that we were coaching as youth, my sister's team, go, go to college. If you want to play, go to college and play. And so it was sort of always been that. Um, but as I, I started coaching and the more I coached and the more I started to get the landscape of, of the country and realize, you know, my upbringing was a little bit different than most, right? Mm-hmm. I, not everybody has uh, a plethora of people around them that look like them, be it coaches and or players. Um, I find myself, even if, like I said, going back to my college experience, you know, I'm working camp and a large part of the camp, I'm one of the few people of color at the camp, especially coaching. Um, and so the more and more I was around that and experiencing that, um, it, it kind of imprinted itself on me that there was a space and need for, um, more of us to, to not only coach, but mm-hmm. continue to succeed in coaching and be able to stay in coaching. Um, and then on the women's side, you know, I, I, I think the same thing applies, you know, where I've, I've spent my life, you know, 20 years plus coaching women. Um, and, and it's, it's one of those things where. Um, for many reasons, I've seen a lot of great women coaches get out of the game, um, you know, but a large part simply because, you know, access and availability in many cases to continue to grow and learn their craft and, and, and be great. So um, I think the two kind of go hand in hand. And so, um, you know, after after the, the national championship, it really punched me in the chest even more um, because um, I remember some coaches walking up to me and, and saying, hey, you know, the only reason I came to this game is to support you. And I didn't know them. Um, and, and so, um, and then, you know, walk, I was talking to a friend of mine um, not too long ago and just sharing the experience of walking through tournaments and having parents and, and, and coaches come up and just say, thank you. And, and I, you know, you don't, you don't realize it while you're in it. That's not why you're in it. You're just right. trying to do your job and, and, and be successful and do your thing. But the impact of it was felt uh, you know, long after, and, and to this day, I still kind of feel that, that, um, you know, that gratitude. And so um, it's, it's a perfect space for me to give back to. Absolutely. We'll, we'll dive into the national championship game here in just a little bit. I kind of want to talk about, you know, the, what was that experience like transitioning from a player to a coach more so like after college, you know, you talked a little bit about helping out your sister's team, helping yeah. build the program, but when was it where you just decided I'm going to, I think I'm going to put both feet in and just coach. You know, uh, it, it was funny. Um, so I'm coaching my little sister's team. Um, I've been out a little over a year, tried to play a little bit, 
never could quite get my feet on the ground. Mm-hmm. Went overseas, tried out for a handful of teams, tried out for some A-League teams. And, and you know, just, it was what it was. Yeah. Um, never quite, never got, quite got going. But then um, I called the women's coach of my alma mater, Lauren Eka Shepherd, and she was like, I was just like, hey, can we play? Because back then we could still play college teams. Um, and, she, and we were in AI too, so the rules were different. But right. um, she was like, yeah. And by the way, I have a part-time job if you're interested at all. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here's a twist. Um, so I took the job and Jason and I were coaching together at that time. And so um, I was driving back and forth and he, he would cover me when I couldn't be there for that first year. Mm-hmm. And then the second year, um, I... I I went full time there. So, um, but she was, she was the, the boss that understood me well enough to know that I needed to get the playing bug out of my system. Um, one of my former teammates and former coaches um, had a team and he invited me into the tryout, let me stay up there for a month, got my feet on the ground and, and I was terrible. Good. <laughs> I was bad. Uh, but I got my legs back and, you know, I was, and then yeah. went back down to Tennessee, joined a different team and, and played for the Tennessee rhythm and, and basically got that, you know, reach the dream, right? Absolutely. You, you spend your, your life trying to reach the dream of becoming a professional and got my little paycheck. And, and when I say little, I mean little, mm. uh, but got to do it. Um, and then had my full-time job already. She was letting me recruit and play and do that whole thing from where I was. But um, the next year the team came around and, and for me, something had changed. Like, it was like, this just isn't, just isn't as important to continue to play and chase this because it's, you know, it's this constant layer of minimal paychecks and, and, and hard roads where I'm already, I'm already on a path that has begun. Um, so, um, I, I hung them up and, uh, you know, took it on full time and, and, and haven't looked back, man. But she she was a big part of that too because yeah. um, as she decided to transition from coaching back into um, corporate, um, you know she had three young kids and she was like you know it's time and we were going from NAI to Division One. Mm-hmm. She told me okay you're going to be a head coach. I, again she told me I was going to be the head coach. You're going to be yeah. the head coach. You're going to take over the program. Right. She had built it and she wanted somebody to carry it forward that understood you know, the history of it and what it was and what it was about and how we, how we did our business. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough that she chose me to do it. And uh, it was funny because uh, I, I was young and I had some players on the team that were older than me. Right. So <laughs> that's the NAI uh, world for you there. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. But you know, the, the other part about it was I had just finished school with a lot of these women. So yeah. I had to really draw a hard line of, of transition I'm like, Hey, I love you guys. Right. You're my people, but yeah, I'm on this side now. And so that was probably the hardest part. Absolutely. So um, 2001, I believe, was your first year as head coach there, right? Yeah. So yeah. 2001, you become the head coach of Birmingham Southern. And uh, obviously, it's your alma mater. What are the thoughts going through your mind? And how excited were you? Nervous were you? Obviously, you mentioned that you were young, but it's pretty cool, at least I can imagine, is taking over a program you helped build, and then now it's yours, and so you have a little yeah. bit more pride. Kind of talk me through that. Dude, it was, it was awesome, um, and scary as all get out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was fortunate, right, because my, my head coach was still at school. My teammate was an assistant coach on the men's side. 
um, in the areas that I probably needed the most help. I had already been working with the men's side to, to learn goalkeeping a little bit better. Um, and, and, and just so that I didn't feel alone in it um, yeah. because I was connected to the men's program so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't feel alone in the job because I knew my AD well from when I played and now as someone who took over for me. And right. he, he taught me a lot. He taught me a lot about, you know, running the program. But I would say um, it was one of those things where the energy behind it was you just want you just want to see it succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, the men's program had, had, had taken off. The women's program had had such great success at the NAI level. Transitioning to Division One was going to be difficult. Um, especially when, when you're trying to just figure it out. But right. um, it was one of those things. My first year, I, we had our NAIA team pretty much still intact that right. had already um, done well at, in the first year that we had. We played in our new conference, the Big South. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we went 7-0-1 in, in the Big South with the team I had. Now, the year, the next year, I graduated like 10 of those women. <laughs> <laughs> graduated or they moved on right, right. so it, it it was difficult but right. um but that first year I, I had that cushion of a team I just had to get out get out of the way and let them I'm like hey go play let me while I figure my world out yeah um and it was awesome but probably the hardest thing about that year it was 9-11 yeah um and and having to now all of a sudden be in charge of, of people's lives um during all that and and, and dealing with the the tragedy of it and um, having the conversations about it and, and all of a sudden, you know, you, you really get thrown into adulthood, right? Yeah. When, when you're an assistant coach, you still had somebody to fall back to. Oh, yeah. But, um, in that scenario, all of a sudden I, I was the adult. Um, and, and you never know how much you're prepared to deal with until you're in it. And, um, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately we, we dealt with a lot and I got to see a lot of scenarios and grow up a lot and have to deal with a lot. And, um, you know, I, I think we all came out of it for the most part on the, on the good side of it. You know, as I look back and talk to many of them now, um, as their moms and, and doing their thing, um, you know, you feel like you came out okay, but there was a huge learning experience. They taught me a lot, yeah. you know, um, they gave me a lot of critiquing and, and advice in, in terms of organizations and things they need and, um, and even coaching to some degree, Hey, you're not, here's how we did some things. So it yeah. was awesome. It was a great experience for me. So 2001, you start at Birmingham Southern and fast forward three years later, three seasons, three seasons later, you are now the 2004 conference champion as well as coach of the year. So it was a transition. You go from NAI to D1, you graduate 10 seniors. There was a a year or so in there that kind of wasn't probably the way that you plan it. Talk about what you can probably consider as the reason why some would say that that was pretty quick success. I mean, NAI, to um, won it, you're winning a conference in three seasons. That's pretty impressive. Well, I, I will say, I will say this, the, the benefit of that um, was being at a place that I had already been a part of mm-hmm. being a part of a program that had had success at a level mm-hmm. um, because the mentality was somewhat in the program. Um, but there was, we, we had to do some planning and um, there were some hurdles, you know, that, that first, well, the 2002 season, I mean, we went one ten and one for a stretch there mm. and then um, ended up winning, I think went four, one and one, the last six games. But mm-hmm. you're talking about a, a transition where that, that was painful, had a lot of young kids yeah. and, 
like it was painful my, for my ego. Like I never lost like that <laughs> since I was like eight years old. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so it was it was it was hard, but um, there was a plan, there was a strategy, and and um, but I will I will say this, and and for every coach out there, there is a message behind this. Mm-hmm. Um, coach for your job. Um, the AD at the time, Jodine Jr. was was phenomenal to me. And, um, you know, like I said, he was a mentor. He hired me, but he was also real with me. He was like, hey, we, we need to see some improvement. We need to see. And he's like, not, not necessarily just in wins and losses, but in how your team goes about playing and how they, they do the business. And because we were all right, you know, yeah. tactically, we were okay. We were a little under athletic. Um, we could we could think our way through it, but we couldn't solve the Division One level, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we had gone out the next year and 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 recruited some athletes to go along with our brains and and organization, and right. that was probably the biggest difference. But it was there was some systematic planning that went around to it, like how how are those groups? But um, coaching for my life, you know, <laughs> was was really the 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 undercurrent. It was like yeah. okay, um, I have to do something differently. And uh, that was it. So now we're going to step, go forward a few more years. Now you get hired at Washington state, um, you know, and you spent two years there. Um, Yeah. And so you and I have had some conversations just on the side about my progression as a coach and, you know, how to make smart moves. And so kind of want to talk about this. You you go from winning the 2004 championship uh, conference championship coach of the year then you go two years of Washington State, you make the national tournament two years in a row. Mm-hmm. So what was that transition like? Because obviously you're going from the Big South to the Pac-10 at that time, right? No, they were 12. Oh, it was 12 I, I did, now. Okay. Yeah, I had a stint. I had six years at Auburn in, in the middle there. That's right. So the Auburn. So right, yeah. Auburn and then to Washington State yeah. as the head coach there. Um, and you go two years into the, in, at the Pac-12, in Pac-12 and you go to the national tournament. What's the formula you've picked up from to Birmingham Southern to Auburn, then into Washington State, where you just have continued success? And 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 I've I've talked about this before, even in my uh, in my introduction about you. I mean, I feel like you're a very humble guy, and you don't get that a lot with a lot of big time coaches that have won. They kind of just start to change, and I think you keep it real all the time. But you know, like, what's the formula? It's not easy. I know it's not no, easy, it's but not, it's not everywhere easy. you've gone, you see a track record. And so what do you kind of attest that to? Um, but, well, there's a few things. I think um, I, there's a plan for it, right? You don't, mm-hmm. you got to walk in with a plan. You have to, to go into places with an understanding of what you're walking into um, and what you're up against. And, and I think, you know, the time at Auburn was, was pivotal for me because it exposed me to the highest level. While we were there, we played North Carolina. We played Duke. We played Virginia. We played Stanford. We like we played all these teams, and we played the SEC schedule. We played Illinois. We played Kansas. We played Dartmouth. Um, and just so I got exposed. Florida State was the team we had to beat to get out of region. Like, I mean, really? Like, yeah. <laughs> which is why? Which is why I even knew what Washington State was in the first place. I was actually scouting. Florida State for two years in their two-year series with Washington State and Washington State had done all right against them so I had watched them for two years yeah and and so that was a big piece of it but the 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 time at Auburn and in terms of X's and O's and tactics just understanding the level and what it was and who these teams are and what you have to deal with and what you're up against was was massive um from an 
a, a job standpoint, Auburn was significant because Karen runs a phenomenal program there yeah. in terms of how she goes about fighting for the things for her program and, and things like that. There was an education there as well. Um, and so I learned to deal with, with, cause you know, at, at, at NAI level in small D1, you're doing it all. Like, you, you oh, know, yeah. your, your marketing department's tiny and all these things, but how to manage from equipment to marketing to compliance, like all of these things from her chair um, was, was an important part of it too. So um, I spent six years at Auburn designing what I wanted my first head coaching job back in it to be. Yeah. Like every day I'm sitting there trying to figure out what's next and how I want to play and what my sessions are going to look like. Plus I had the practice round at Birmingham Southern. So there yeah. were some things that were already in place. I, I knew how to do these things. And I had played a few teams there, but still not to the, not to the consistency that I got to play at Auburn. Um, and so piecing those things together, but in building it and changing it, um, I have to give Matt Potter a whole lot of credit at, at Washington State. Mm -hmm. He had already built a lot of it. It was in place. You know, I took over a team that was, I think, a penalty kick away from the Sweet 16. Like, mm -hmm. it wasn't like I walked into an empty, empty right. team. Um, the only thing that I shifted was they were a little bit more defensive. I shifted them into being a little bit more attacking. Mm -hmm. And and we we brought in some, uh, just, just a different change of attitude in, in terms of, you know, the belief system and, and where they were versus where they could be. Right. Um, and that first year we kind of, <laughs> we butted heads and, and they'll tell you, yeah. um, it's hard to take a team that knows they're good <laughs> and has done it one way. Right. And to shift them into, you're still good, but we can do it a different way and we can be better. Um, and so as that shift happens, um, we, we, we were able to go, but it was a lot about, the people I had with me, Jason and I, we had always said we'd meet up at, at the spot, whoever got there first. And so um, that was one piece that I didn't have to worry about. I brought Jason with me. Jason knew me stylistically. We were the same. He's, he's a brilliant soccer mind. Let him do his thing. Um, so then it's just a matter of, of kind of piecing everything else together. Um, Jim Klein and Matt Cosgrove came with me, two sound coaches, very, very good coaches. Matt was at South Carolina for years. Um, so I, I brought in a person defensively and, and goalkeeper wise, had a, a brilliant brain to kind of help piece that together. Jen, very offensive, had been a head coach for a couple of years and knew the West Coast, which was key. Right. So they helped us kind of find our recruiting space. But um, a lot of it was just in, in kind of putting all that together and, and forming the group, the people, man, um, the, the tenacity of the Washington State crew, the 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 cohesion of our group like we were we were in it man yeah um, and it was hard but it was it was it was good man absolutely so i want to touch on two things and so a few weeks ago uh you know this is when i over a month ago now when this when this gets produced but i decided to put together gcp so i called a couple people you know and it was this is for assistant coaches i think it's so important to put together your thoughts and ideas and plan, like you said, what you did at Auburn for six years is have things in place. So when that time comes, you're prepared, you're not yes. scrambling. And so I'm glad that you mentioned that. And that's exactly why I started GCP was allowing us assistant coaches to put on these webinar presentations about how we do things in our own environment and have someone else say, Hey, I like that, but did you consider this or Hey, yeah. 
I hear what you're saying. I don't agree. This is why. And so starting to trigger a different thought process. So I'm really glad that you said that. I just kind of wanted to mention that. And then the two things, one other thing is you mentioned when you're at Auburn, having to get out of region, you have to face uh, Florida State. I don't feel too sorry for you because at UCSB, <laughs> if we moved out of the Big West, we were coming to you or going to UCLA. So, yeah, man. <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty funny, but no, absolutely. That's, it's an interesting uh, thing to consider when, when you have success or you're finding success in establishing, putting these plans together, like you said, is what does the, the, the region look like? And you have to recruit to make it in advance in the NCAA tournament. It's not just yeah. a tournament thing. I mean, it's great if you win the, the conference tournament, but you get into the national tournament, you're not prepared because you don't know the teams that you're going to face. You're kind of putting yourself in a bad situation or Absolutely. Just running in a circle. So I really do appreciate that. Then you talked about cohesion, uh, yeah. Jason. So, I, you know, everyone that knows you knows Jason. And that's what <laughs> I love because it's all about bringing people in with you. And so I kind of want you to talk about that relationship with Jason, how important that is to you in your career your personal life and what importance you think it is to have a friend like that in your profession. Yeah, I, I, I will say it this way. Um, I don't know if anybody out there can replicate our, our upbringing um, because it's, it, you know, we went to preschool together, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> like we known each other all the way through. We had similar coaches. We had, uh, similar path. We, we, you know, even extracurriculars and play baseball together. Like right. uh, all of the competitions, are, you know, parents picked each other's up, up for, for games and our right. sisters play, you know, Absolutely. spent time together and we're good friends. Like, so there, there's, there's that level of, it's just family, man. Like we just are who we are. Right. Um, and, and I think we complement each other in that way. And I, I, but I remember when we first started coaching together, sitting down and going, okay, here's, here's kind of what our plan is. Like, here's how we want to play. Here's, we started this back in 1997. Yes, I'm dating myself, but yeah. <laughs> we started this in 1997. Like, yeah. it, this is not, this is not new. And I say 1997 simply because that's when we started coaching together. Yeah. But our influences are similar. And yeah. so even in talking through that plan, we were talking from a space of, hey, we like the Dutch style. This is the way our coaches brought us up. Hey, but how do we want to change that? Let's throw another piece in there. So now we've got five instead of four. Um, how do we want to build on that? What are what are the exercises necessary to do X, Y, Z? And he went the club route. I went the college route. But we were both throwing each other information right. so that we could tweak sessions. We could tweak, uh, you know, how you, how you give the information. We could tweak um, what was necessary at the level that we were both at. You know, yeah. I'm like, okay, in college, I don't have time to put all this in place. How do I build my system out in a way on a collegiate schedule so my periodization works this way? You're at the club level. You've got plenty of time to work it. You've got more time to, to fine-tune it and twist it. Absolutely. And you're doing, you're doing four or five sessions a day sometimes, yeah. you know, or, or at least two to three. Um, Definitely. So we, we, we were bonded all through that, but um, that's just X's and O's. That's, that's yeah. just X's and O's piece. I think the other part that that helps is there's a respect level for each other. Yeah. Um, we're able to model relationship because we don't always agree. Yeah. Um, because we, we do have arguments. Sometimes they are visible. <laughs> um, you know, but at the same time, I think our I think it's important for our team to see that. Like this is how real life works. Yeah. Some days we get along. Some days we don't. 
some days we agree, some days we don't, but we keep pushing forward and it's not a lack of love. It's not a lack of respect. It's not personal. This is just our opinion and this is how we're moving forward. Um, and so I, I think all of that plays into the program we want to build, right? It's, it's one that is able to have open dialogue. It is one that is able to have, um, I, I want the players to think, I want them to have an opinion. I want them to have a, a reason why they did things. And so we get, to, we get to do that as well. I think as you build your program to try to find those relationships are important where you have people that will challenge you, but will also understand, hey, we're going this way. All right, then we're going that way. Um, so I think, I think in building your relationship with your assistants and your staff, you have to give them space to be themselves. And I think one of the best things I ever did <clears throat> was step back as a coach. Yeah. I brought Jason with me. His number one thing, he's, he wants to coach. Mm-hmm. You know what? Get out there and coach. That doesn't mean I'm any less of a coach. Right. But I recognize, okay, this is his strength. This is his power. This is his space. It frees me up to do some other things. So I've got some space to do that. So that's the way we operate. And then when, when Jen, you know, when Jen came in and Matt came in, tried to give them space to own part of what they do as well within our structure. And, and, and as I got to know them more and they got to know me more, it, it helped, um, but I, I think Jason and I being the, there together always helps the people come in because <laughs> Jason's like, no, just tell him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's right. like, no, he, he, he's not gonna get his feelings hurt. Tell him what you want, tell yeah. him what you need, tell him how you feel. And so we're able to get to the truth a whole lot quicker, which I think helps our team um, in, the, in the end. Absolutely, I mean, I think a lot of times people don't realize it, when you're coaching a team, they can see through the lies. And a lot of times there's these personas that are put on that aren't real. I mean, I'm a parent, I've got two kids and I have a six, a seven-year-old and almost five-year-old and the things they can tell already, it's amazing. So you imagine being a parent of of a first grader and he can see right through you when you, he knows you're not being real. He knows you're not telling the truth. And then you try to go into the workforce and try to put on another face and so if your your kids who know you know you're not telling the truth and not being you what makes you think your players aren't going to do it and i think that's the divide at times which i love with with what you you and jason do and i think that's what kai and i are trying to establish in our relationship is we're both the bridge it's not jason's the bridge between the team and you i'm the bridge between kai and them it's we're both the bridge and our relationship opens up that acceptance and comfort because when they feel comfortable yeah. they're going to bend over backwards for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so now we're going to kind of lead into 2016. Um, you know, obviously what was an amazing year for your program. And now we kind of talk about that bridge of your staff and the players. Where do you think that role played in part with this team? Because you, you took over a team that had a program that had had success in the past. People know mm-hmm. who USC is. In every sport, I grew up in Southern California. I'm a Trojan fan. Yeah. Uh, I still haven't watched the 2005 National Football Championship. I was in the Navy out at sea, and I heard the result, and I was heartbroken. So I still haven't watched it. It's 2020. But um, yeah. Yeah. what was that like, that season, the cohesion, how the staff played a part in helping bridge that gap? And you talk about the relationships you know, kind of talk me through that 2016 season and when it clicked, like, whoa, this is actually probably going to be a really special year. So, so I have, I have to go back because 2016 started in 2014. 
touche. If that if that makes any sense, Absolutely. because we came into a team that was tenth and eleventh in the Pac-12. Yeah, we came into a team that no player that was on the roster when we took the team over mm-hmm. had ever been to the NCAs. The only two players on the roster who had ever been to the NCAs were a transfer from Auburn, right. who I actually recruited to Auburn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then um, a transfer from North Carolina and Riley Parker. Yeah. Those are the only two players on the entire roster had been to the NCAs. Wow. So when, when you, when you think about that, that was a harsh reality for that group. And, mm-hmm. you know, the sole purpose of, of that first year was getting them to the NCAs mm-hmm. and building the trust in how we did our business and what things it took to be that. Um, and so w- we looked at that roster though, and there was a lot of talent already existed in the group. There was a whole lot of talent. And so it was trying to, trying to bridge that gap um, of understanding of the what and the why for them, right? Um, so I fast forward. We added, uh, let's see, a goalkeeper, Sammy Joe Prudhomme, transferred from Oregon State. We added um, Amanda Rooney from North Carolina. We added Alex Anthony from Maryland. We added um, Sydney Myers from Utah. We added, um, we had, can you hear them? You're good. Okay. Um, so we added, we added, we added all these, all these pieces to, to this puzzle that wasn't there. And so now it was trying to bridge all this. Morgan Andrews had joined. And so we had all these pieces. Um, that team, oh, Leah Pruitt, don't, don't let me forget her. I mean, come on, arguably the most important play (laughs) of the whole thing. Um, but, but when, when you, when you think about that group, as much as we had a lot of talent, the talent was the issue for that team. There was cohesive issues. We, we weren't great Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the year. Yeah. We lost our first two games. We we and we saw it coming. Like we knew it was coming. Like we knew there were gonna be issues with putting all of those personalities together. There were a lot of personalities in that group. Mm-hmm. Great personalities, but how do they work together? How are they how are they put together? Um and a large part of it was trying to get those big personalities to li- relinquish some of the responsibility to the others and support the others in their moments, right? Mm-hmm. Um so we spent an entire year trying to work through that space and even as we played it was they knew they were good like I can't tell you this enough the team knew they were good they just (laughs) didn't quite know how good they were right so losing those first two games I was taken back the team was taken back Um, you know we went to Santa Clara lost we went to Long Beach lost so we're sitting there and we're we're like okay what is what is going on what is where is this formula going wrong not to mention, it was also our staff's first recruiting class. Hmm. So we felt like we had this, this collection of talent that was great. Um, I'll never forget, Jen, after those first two games, came over to me. She's like, um, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, what do you mean? She's like, I've never seen you this way. And if I've never seen you this way, they surely haven't seen you this way. Right. And I said, okay. And so I had to apologize to them, and we sort of had to change course. I'm like, listen, I was like, here's, here's my reality, and here's my frustration. I think we all know that we've got talent, Mm -hmm. but nobody cares how talented we are. We are only what we go out there and do. Right. And that realization, we took off, we started winning games and and probably the next pivotal game was 
the North Carolina game mm-hmm. where we, where we won it handily. Um, then, then I think uh, we played. I, I want to say the Stanford game was the next game we played. That was again a pivotal game. We won that pretty well. Right. Um, but we had some arguments in our in our group. Like we that year was the the year of the kneeling, um, and and trying to figure out what to do with that. And we had a we had a real open dialogue about it. The team was split on it. Um, there were some tears. There was some. There was a lot of things. People expressed why they wanted to. People expressed why they didn't. Yeah. Um, but I will say it was probably one of the best days in my coaching career having that conversation, having that real conversation with our group, um, and coming out of there. And we played one of our best games against Arizona. It was our next game. It was the most united that we probably were ever, um, including the final. Um, Can I pause you real quick right there? Yeah. I want to I yeah. talk about that. So yeah. obviously that's, we don't need to dive into the controversy behind that, but a lot of the things you talk about continues to just circle back with relationships yeah. and, and how it's very big to you. What We're in the relationship is, business, man. How, We're in the people business. People business. But, it, business. but yeah. we both know not everyone can do that. <laughs> True. In our own profession. And yeah. so one thing that I want to know is where did that come from? I mean, how, how did you form this personality trait and how is it, and why is it such an important thing to you? And I'm not just talking soccer. I'm just about talking yeah. to Johnny as the person. Yeah, my mom and dad, man. It, yeah. Uh, and primarily my mom is that part of me, right? Yeah. My dad is the logic and the, the strategery and, and the, the competitive spirit. Um, my mom is the um, support people, mm-hmm. be open to people, love people um build relationship connect to them take care of them our man our house was always full of people mm-hmm. um whether it's extended family whether it was you know shoot i'd look up and next thing you know i'd come in the house um and there'd be a house full of kids from church you know mm-hmm. um and so that was always a big part of who we were both were educators um and 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 so i took it upon myself and one of the things you know my my dad used to <laughs> My dad used to say, you know, we talk about coaching and, and coaching would, you know, how are you going to make money at this whole thing? Da, da, da. Um, but I used to always tell him, you know, I don't have much to give, but I have my time and I have my knowledge. Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, so I, to me, that was the way I gave and, and that's the way I gave back. I'd go do some clinics here and clinics there. And ultimately I had to learn how to make it a profession, but um, th- that spirit never left me. And, and in terms of how I build teams, I, I think, I think it's extremely important to let them know that I love them, let them know that I care for them, let them know that I am fighting for them, but I will hold them accountable, that I will always put the team in front of of any one individual um, because my job is to protect the group. I will still love you, even though I have to put the team in front of you, but I I have to hold these standards. And so, that that is that is the foundation man that is Absolutely. that is where everything is built in, in the recruiting process and, and and everything that i do and all the decisions that i make um i let them know that that's that's where it is so yeah hopefully so, hopefully that answers no it question. does and so it, it's it sounds like there's there's a faith-based approach um, absolutely you know and so it's and which i love because not even just in our profession but in in our country today it's really hard to outwardly communicate that. And, and, and if you know, if you're around Kadani, 
you can get that hint of faith without even saying, Hey, are you, you know? And so I love that because those who know will recognize it and it doesn't have to be outward. And, and, And when you're in an environment where you don't have to tell, you're not a, you're not at a private Christian school that is, you know, like, a lot of the NAIAs and different experiences that we have, I, you know, I spent time at Colorado Christian Westmont and mm-hmm. that's, that's my recruiting pitch. You know, I'm right. going, I'm going to churches, I'm going to camps, but here uh, your approach is, is kind of intertwined with your relationships and it's all faith-based uh, without having to just vocally communicate that. And for those who are interested are interested, those who aren't, aren't, but you tell that there's something different. And so I just commend I you on that, that because it's not, it's not an easy thing. Um, no, it's not. Kyle and I talk a lot and, and we get some pushback at times. Uh, you know, some people don't necessarily understand it. Um, but when it's done right, it is appreciated and is recognized. And so for someone that is a younger coach that looks up to you, I love it because it's recognized and you don't have to outwardly be that person, but just who you are naturally. Um, it's just displayed all over the place. And so I definitely really do love, I do love that. I appreciate it. And, and it's, it's probably uh, another one of the, the coaching moments that, that um, is memorable. And I'm sure she would probably say the same thing. Um, Caroline Stanley, when I first got there, you know, I was, I was talking to her and I was like, you know, I, I was reading, you know, I think a Twitter post or something and it was talking, it was talking about her being at FCA and something. And so I approached her one day, I said, um, I said, you're a Christian, right? And she was like, yeah. I said, are you playing a position like a Christian? You know, and, and, and it took her back for a minute. She's like, what does that mean? I was like, well, I said, you know, I said, let's, let's, let's be understanding of, of something. You're a veteran keeper with a young or new, I shouldn't even say young, new defenders to your back line. And, you know, the way you communicate with them is not one where you are trying to help them, encourage them to learn how to play with you. You're, you're, you're digging into them and cutting mm-hmm. into them. I'm like, you, you haven't brought them into the fold yet. How you, right. how you going to cut them? You yeah. got to bring them in before you cut them <laughs> down, you know? So, um, so we, we had a, we had a good discussion about that. And, and every now and then you have some of those discussions and, you know, they're, they're players now that, have, um, you know, big mission players and players that, uh, I've got a couple that, um, I had one actually that, uh, I had to give some bad news and, and, and uh, she actually went and played for Twilight Davis that, mm. that is now in, in ministry. She worked for AIA, Rachel, mm. uh, um, she, you know, and I've got one from um, Washington state that is doing a lot of ministry. And so, you know, you, you, you try to stay in it um, and you try to, you try to, to pour into people. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest way you pour into them is, is to show them how to do it and, and show them how to love and show them how to care and show them how to, respect um and and so i try to i try to live that out am i perfect absolutely not um but but i I do try to live it out and and have it as something that like you said is is visible so i appreciate that's a huge compliment no absolutely push that in there definitely all right so we're gonna go back to you had 2016 off of (laughs) you just come off of beating uh north carolina stanford in 2016 um kind of talk me through now you're in the NCAA tournament. What's yeah. through your guys' heads? Um, you know, just kind of that process. Honestly, I was angry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we 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 played um, we played the final six games of the year in preparation for 
Um, as a staff, we had, we had sort of looked around and we were like, okay, who are the teams? You know, we recognize our own conference, but we also were like, okay, you know, you can't, you can't ignore what West Virginia is doing right now. Um, we had already played North Carolina, but you couldn't ignore, like, you're like, okay, if this is the, the, the team that you got to deal with, they're one in the country, their defense is ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. they're having the season. Um, let's at least start to look at it and make sure that we're aware and prepared of what's going on. So we started doing that in the back part of the season. Yeah. Uh, another thing that we started to do, we started to train, because um, we felt good about our first group. We started to train the others, the young mm-hmm. players, the new players, right. um, a lot heavier, um, right. just because we felt like in order for us to really be successful, we're going to have to buy minutes. Um, right. We're going to have to buy moments um, here and there. And we weren't sure who those moments were going to come from. So we needed to get as many people <laughs> ready as Absolutely. we could. Um, so those were the two things going in. But we played that first game against Eastern Washington. And man, we won the game. But you talk about angry. I was angry uh, with yeah. the way we played that game. And so we had we had another we had another group meeting, another come together. And <laughs> and we w- we went back to what we originally started with. You're like, yeah. okay, I don't know who you are. I think right. we've forgotten about who we are. We think we're just going to show up and have success. Um, and so we talked about we talked about our cohesion. We talked about supporting each other. We talked about how we play as a unit and not as individuals. We talked about um, sharing the load and and, and sharing the ball and, and all of those things. And that if we can't find the joy in that, then we don't have to worry about winning at the end. You know. Mm that that will not be something that happens right um so so i can only do so much what do you need from me to allow you to have that space and i'll give them credit they were like listen you know we um we need to have some more fun i was like fun (laughs) winning is fun aren't we winning (laughs) (laughs) they were like you know let's let's we need we need to have some more light moments mm. um and i'll never forget it was it was kayla mills kayla mills brought it up and i was like you know what okay we can do that i was like jen you can do that <laughs> <laughs> so jen jen for, for three solid weeks came up with a new way to start training that just was was lighthearted yeah and fun for i mean three solid weeks of just enjoying the beginning of training before we got into whatever it is we were going to get into yeah and uh that that was a shift and then we played texas a&m in the second round mm-hmm. um Really, really tight game. Went into PKs. Um, very well could have lost the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought we had a better team, but very well could have lost the game. They were they were awesome on that day. Yeah. Um, after that game, I think the team had another meeting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when they put all every I, – I think that's when they truly put everything down. Yeah. If that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, that's – from that point on, we enjoyed ourselves. Yeah. We in, like I think we had to have been the most lighthearted, easygoing team going into the Final Four because we were laughing, joking, singing, dancing. Like it was, mm-hmm. we had an, a ball um, yeah. just enjoying the experience, even though there, there were some nerves and tension. But for the most part, I felt like the overall feeling was, was, was just nice. It was good. Um, we finally got to that space where everybody understood, accepted, and, and, went all in on their roles from the players who were playing all the time from the players who weren't playing that much from the players who weren't playing at all from the injury. I think everybody took on their role and went all in. Um, And so playing against uh, Georgetown, man, man, they are good at what they were good at what they do. Oh man. I mean, and their forwards that year were all over the place. Tacking like it was, 
it was a battle. Uh, yeah. But but you know, Katie Johnson, to her credit, um, we switched up the lineup. We we changed the role from starter to non-starter. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought we could get some better cohesion in, in some of the partnerships on on the field and 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 have a a shift in the way the the tides of the game went throughout the ninety minutes. Right. And uh, she scored a, a brilliant goal in that game, <laughs> an absolutely brilliant goal in that game. Yeah. And then, then you go into the final and it's West Virginia, and um, Canadian one national of those, team, dude, dude, <laughs> you talk about absolutely phenomenal team. Yeah, um, I, I had the utmost respect for their staff. You know, love their staff. Like it was one of those games. You, you, as an outsider before the game, I, I looked at the game and I was like, okay. I'm like I'm. This is an unbelievable game. You talk about the diversity on the field, the diversity in the head coaches in terms of you know what we started the day with, like supporting the growth of colors of coaches and women. Right. And here we were in this game. Um, it, it was like the perfect platform for for the game, in my opinion. And and they were quality teams. It wasn't like it was a, a joke of a game. Right. It was a a, a very tactical game. Um, but it's where preparation really paid off. Yeah. Uh, we made some tactical de- decisions in that game that almost cost us, but <laughs> but but we survived them and we were able yeah. to go. We, we knew we could. We knew we felt like we could score on corner kicks, mm-hmm. and little did I know it was going to be out the gate. Um, but we had talked about it. Like this yeah. is a place where we can expose them. We knew that we could expose them in a counter if if they um, because they the way they push their numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where our relate again. And this game was another space where our relationship, Jason and I's relationship, was important because um, there was a point in the game where I wanted to to come a little defense, and he was like, "Hey, no, man, no, man, we got to stay with the two front, stay in the two front, stay in the yeah. two front." He was like, "I don't care what you do behind that, but make sure I stay." So we tweaked mm-hmm. some things late in the game uh, that helped us in there. But uh, um, we we decided to give their best players the ball and uh, yeah. and allow them to come down their one side and absorb them. And um, I will say our, our, our defense was on point. Sammy Joe was, was really, really good that day. Um, but probably the, the best two moments of the game for me, before the game, the, the reserves, who because of an NCAA rule that I think is, is tragic, mm. were up in the stands mm-hmm. um, instead of down on the bench with their team. Yeah. Um, they wrote on the board, hey, you know, when you get tired, when you feel like you can't do it, da, 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 all those things, they wrote it on the board. And they, they said, we're up in section, whatever, whatever. And so they bought into their role. They, they let them know that they were, they were not alone. And they were rowdy. They were loud. They were doing their job. It was fantastic. Right. But the next moment of the game that I thought was, was probably the most important, we, we let them come down the right side. And then it went out to the left and isolated um, for their goal. Mm-hmm. And we had just given up the goal. And I looked out on the field. And I didn't I, – I only saw a couple people go, eh. We're in trouble. I felt like the rest, I thought for the most part, the team was like, oh, no, not today. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I, felt, I felt like they, they found themselves. And then we, we were able to kind of go. And I think we hadn't taken a shot for a while. We were absorbing and, and doing our thing. We took the next shot. And I, I, I thought we sort of got back into a little bit of offensive rhythm. Um, but then the play that broke up in the game, you know, said it all, man. Like, Leah's – First of all, we're defending on our end. I think it was a, it was either corner set piece, something. Defending on our end, big clear. Mm-hmm. And there was that decision moment. Mm-hmm. It was exactly what we had talked about, being isolated 2v2. But it was a decision. Leah could have stopped running. Yeah. 
as many players would have. Mm -hmm. But she chose to continue to go. And all of a sudden, she gets the touch. And again, I think the defender thought she wasn't going to go the way she went, right. even though she touched it back in. And so she, she broke around her. And then it was the unselfish moment that we've been waiting for all season. Mm. Instead of taking the shot, she rolled it to the better pass. Mm -hmm. and, and we got the finish, go up two. Then it was a matter of we shifted some things. Then we got isolated again, and Katie sealed it away with a masterful goal at the end. Um, and you talk about culmination of a lifetime. Yeah. That was it, man. Absolutely. That was it. Especially, you know, you think about Jason and I's relationship. We coming in from Alabama. The, the biggest question always was, if you had the players, could, could what we do work? Mm. And then you were sitting there. When that third one hit the net, you, you're like, okay. You know, because we hadn't given up, we hadn't given up two goals all season. You yeah. know, like so, we were like, okay, right. It's 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 one thing to score one more, but it's you're not getting two. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, <laughs> definitely. So, you know, I think after the first two games, I think we hadn't given up more than two goals all year. So, yeah. well, I think that some of the reflection you had at that moment, you know, like you just mentioned, um, even for you know us young coaches and especially color coaches of color. Um, it was a win for us all. I mean, you know, <laughs> this game, I'm going to show this game uh, to my daughter when she gets older and she can actually appreciate it because the diversity, you know, yeah. I mean, and, I mean, I was at KU, so I've seen West Virginia very well. Khadijah, <laughs> I mean, you know, like I, I know it and it's amazing, but oh. you're starting to see the diversity, you know, the Macy Bells, the Kikis, the, uh, the Katarina Macarios. And so for me in the women's game, I love it. Players perspective wise. It's the coach, the coaching still obviously is going to get there, but I mean, I, I was talking to Clifton Bush a few days ago, currently mm. in division one women's soccer, there are 17 black head coaches mm. out of 333 mm. teams. There's about 5% of them that are black coaches. And so yeah. when you have an opportunity to have someone represent a whole collective group it's amazing but then when you win it it's even better and so you you know uh just kind of like you know i can imagine uh, just thinking back like when obama won the presidency i was kind of walking around like i was on air you know <laughs> i have nothing to do with it <laughs> I, I, I am not obama <laughs> I, I have nothing to do with it yes i was raised in hawaii you know we kind of the same colors but at the same time like that was an amazing thing. And so when my daughter watches the games and my son watches the games, like I can now show them people that look like them, you know? And so when I was watching it, it was just like, oh man, yes, it's cool. There's a female head coach there, but man, there's another black male coach. And that was amazing. And so, you know, um, that was just a moment that I think I'll, I know I'll never forget. And we definitely know you won't ever forget, but the no. generations to come, my daughter's not going to forget it. You know, my son won't forget it because that's how you can continue to understand and openly accept is when it gets passed on. And so now that it's going to be a consistent thing, like anytime I watch TV or a game played, I point out the girls that look like my daughter right. because a lot of the players that play for me don't look like her. And so now we have four best believe she's going to know them in and out because that is exactly what it's about. And so that was an amazing experience and amazing diversity uh, of, of just players and staff. And so, no, it was a, a very, very, very fun game to watch in acceptance. And so, yeah, one, it, it, I'm going to pause it one second. Yeah. Recording. All right, cool. There we go. All right. 
so but yeah but yeah it was it was um it was special man i mean it was special and you know it it was one of those nights like a handful of my college teammates came um like it was it was unbelievable um to just again have that kind of support the brotherhood that you that you want like and even in that like part of part of the way i build my team is to go back to my college days my college coach coached 33 years at, Mm -hmm. at the uh built the program coach 33 years but we have a brotherhood that I don't even know all the players, but if they told me they played there, like it's instant. Okay. I got you, what you need, like it is right. what it is. Absolutely. So um, to have that be part of it as well. <laughs> and and I, I joked with them before the game, I was like, man, you know, we, cause we played in two final fours and yeah. we played one national final. I was like, Hey, I'm going to try to get the one that we, that we lost. Right. <laughs> and so I right. felt like, I felt like we were, we were playing for that as well, which, which was another, another reason to just kind of celebrate it. But the, the, being a coach of color, remember when, when Clive Charles did it, yeah. um, knowing, knowing that, um, you know, at, at, at our level, you know, big five, there's only three. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so, yeah. um, I, I do, I do feel some weight with that. Right. Like yeah. to try to make sure we continue to one, do it right. And try to be consistent and try to be, um, try, try to do things to the best way possible. Um, because I, I know there's an importance of, of, just me sitting in the seat, you know, to be, to be fair. So, um, did I, did I start off trying to be that? <laughs> not, not at all. Right. Um, but I, but I do appreciate the space that I'm in. Um, Absolutely. And I, and I think that's, you know, some days it's like, ah, you know, but it, you know, most days yeah. it's like, you know what, Hey, it is what it is. Let's go. Absolutely. Um, and let, let's try to do it again so that even more memories can be made. Definitely. All right. So, as we're wrapping up, I have something called my non-negotiables. I'm going to oh, ask boy. You three questions, very okay. easy questions. Okay. Uh, one of them I already know the answer, unfortunately, but I'm going to let you publicly say this. Um, your favorite club, internationally. <laughs> I'm an favorite... Arsenal guy. Man. I'm an favorite Arsenal player guy. as well. Uh, you know what? I'm a little outside the box with this one. Okay. Um, Clarence Sador. Okay. Say yeah. Um, the dude's career, man, all over the place, lots of clubs, mm-hmm. the consistency, the IQ, um, versatility, you know, um, he was just one of those guys, didn't get to see enough of him, mm-hmm. um, but always appreciated him when I did, so. Okay. Two book recommendations that you want to throw out there that you've read or currently are reading? Um. I, I, for me, the captain's class um, by Sam Walker is one that um, it's just it, and, and honestly, it's just a, a study on on the best teams that ever worked and what yeah. made them what they were. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was one that that really really grabbed me. Um, and then I'm I I always push um, I push the energy bus John Gordon um, because I do think. Um, I'm a big proponent that in many cases, um, teams don't want to lose with their first 15 players. It's the bottom half, um, quote unquote, I say bottom strictly because the numbers are at the bottom, not Absolutely. because I feel like they're at the bottom. Absolutely. Um, but it's that bottom half of the roster that, that is where, where you really have to really get buy-in, where, where you can really impact success. Um, and so the energy bus is, is, I think a book that speaks to that. Um, 
and then you know uh, i'm i'm always I'm, I'm always gonna push out you know there's a book series that that um i i did as a assistant coach doing bible studies in in, in auburn um, we we use habitudes um, and there's a secular and a religious version to them um and so um, I think in terms of studying teams and dynamics and leadership, I think it's a book that, again, goes back to the, the root of uh, and foundation of, of how I want to coach. Absolutely. Last question, which is going to be a little bit deeper. Um, what legacy do you want to leave behind when, you're, when you decide I'm no longer coaching? The people, man. Um, uh, I hope to have had a positive effect on the people that I've been able to come across. Um, I, the game is, game is secondary in that regard. I, mm-hmm. I, I think if I've done what I'm supposed to do, then hopefully I've, I've, I've touched some lives and, and ultimately, hopefully they will touch some and, and it will kind of continue to cycle. Um, if, if I've done that, then I've, I've lived a good life. Absolutely. Well, Kadani, thank you for your time today. I know we said probably about 45 minutes and an hour and 20 we're going. And uh, I really do appreciate the dialogue and time. Um, had a lot of good conversation. And, you know, hopefully uh, with the intent of this podcast, somebody hears it and it triggers something new in them. It recharges their motivation um, or just continually, continually helps them reprocess um, the way that they do things. And so, you know, anyone listening, I definitely, I hope that that's what it does because when we have conversations, I know it personally helps me. And so, uh, really do appreciate you being the first guest on the first ever (laughs) podcast. No worries. Thank you, man. And and the the conversation is likewise that, you know, I always get a lot from people that I get to talk to. So thank you. Um, and thank you for doing what you're doing. I, I do, I do know that um, every bit of information out there is, is good information because coaching is plagiarism after all. Yeah, that's definitely right. All right. I appreciate it.